0: welcome to sports Fluid, the coach and ak i'm anthony kay here as always with coach hugh jackson and special guest steve weich senior nfl correspondent for the nfl network and i gotta ask you a question about the podcast huddle and flow because one i love the podcast two is the name uh homage to hustle and flow like one of my favorite movies or no it is ah, no
1: no no, I, I, no ab- absolutely absolute play on words man it uh You know, Jim and I, Jim Trotter and I, uh, we do not speak like uh, Skinny Black or Terrence Howard's character or anyone there. But we figure, you know, it's kind of a hit thing and we took the huddle, you know, the football thing. and We both flow. And so, yeah, it works. We're on hiatus now. We're we're taking a little breather. Um, Hopefully we'll be back into it real soon and get you guys on. We'll get Hugh back on because, Hugh, you were one of our
2: last guests. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. It was really nice, really good. It uh, gave me a chance to kind of tell my story, Anthony. They uh, did me a solid. Uh, they've been two, uh, to me, two pioneers in the business for our minority coaches and trying to do everything they can to help and assist. So, Steve, I really appreciate that, you and Jim both. Uh, but at the same time, um, there's so much more work to do you know, in this area. But I, I think things are hopefully turning for the best.
0: Well, the more the more of us that are out there talking about it, right? The the it starts with the conversations, and that's what what we're here to do. Uh, Steve, I do want to start with you because obviously I'm curious. Uh, coach probably knows. How did you get from kind of going through, you know, at, you're at Howard University, and you how'd you become a senior, an NFL correspondent there? And I know it took some turns. I know you did some NBA as well. So we are going to talk some football and some basketball. But how did that happen for you?
1: You get to be senior when you get your hair.
0: (laughs) Mine's just in my beard. That's
1: where where the senior part came from. No, And look, I've been at the NFL Network since 2008. So I'm I'm kind of a dinosaur. The fact, you know, I've been there now. I'm getting ready to enter my 13th season. That's a long time to be at a network. Um, And so the fact that I kind of came there as an NFL.com, as a former writer, as Hugh knows, when, when I covered the Falcon Street Land Journal Constitution, he was the OC there in 07. Um, you know, I was a longtime writer, transitioned and kind of made my way to just about every different role uh, at the network, except for a full-time host. I kind of substitute from time to time. Um, but the fact that you know I, I do so much and like Jim Trotter connected, we've got a lot of gravitas a lot of the coaches and gms and players and stuff in the nfl so they hit me with that title um i accept it again hugh <laughs> the gray that's what the senior correspondent you're not that, did some to of that
0: come from the days uh covering the falcons <laughs> oh
1: god <laughs> i'm gonna let you answer that one <laughs> are, you to talk about, are you allowed to talk about that coach
2: <laughs> that one. it was uh, it was a real different time um obviously Um, That was the end of Michael, the Michael big days, beginning of Bobby Trino's uh, regime there. And uh, that was different. And uh, it was uh, something to really report. But uh, what I really love about Steve, he's always been uh, transparent, fair and uh, right on uh, to the, to the coaches and the players. And I think that's refreshing because sometimes people are looking to make the biggest stories that they can. And, um, is told a different way with a different slant. And Steve, what he's going to do is what he's going to do. And that's what we all can appreciate that, you know. And so he's always been that way. And I think we all, you know, I speak for a lot of coaches and a lot of players. We all respect that.
1: Well, you know, and Hugh, I appreciate you saying that because it's funny. I was uh, talking to a young USC student today who had just kind of hit me up on DM asking for advice. and I said, the one thing you can never do is forget who you serve. It is not your employer. It is the people who read you. It is the people who watch you and the people you're hoping to educate. And that's my pack. You know, a lot of people, as you just said, a lot of reporters, they want the splash. They want to be known, right? Mm -hmm. That's not me. I'll let, I will let my, my work allow me to be known. It is not me about having that big story, whatever to say this. And like, like with you, I mean, that year that, um, he was in Atlanta. It was it was crazy, right? It was bananas. The whole like I said, the Michael Vick stuff just ended. They come in with this really good staff, right? Bobby hired. You had Hugh is the O.C. Mike Zimmer was the D.C. Who was it? Jerry. Um, what was Jerry's last name? Especially special teams a long time with the oh, Ravens. I, oh god. I mean, but the staff was loaded. I mean, Joe yes, Witt are. was on the defense. I mean, it was a really good staff. And then just had all this this craziness. Um, happened and I felt so bad for like Hugh who had just relocated there and Zim who had been down in Dallas for like what 13 years and you know Bobby walks out after the 13th game to take a job at Arkansas and it's chaos it's chaos and I mean it was the city was divided because of the Mike Vick stuff and you know and Hugh and Bobby and Zim and all these guys had to answer questions about Mike, and none of them ever coached him. So it was just constant. It was just constant. Yeah. You know, and then you had some very strong-willed players. We I mean, had Lawyer Malloy and Sean <laughs> Abraham. Was <laughs> D. Hall on that team still? Yeah. Or was
2: he gone? Ward done, Algie Crawford.
1: I mean, it was there were some strong-willed dudes who were being pulled in a different direction every day. And it was just the Overall, gray cloud that hung over that. I just felt so bad for the coaches, and that's why when I had a chance to talk with Hugh, he and I would sit together from time to time and chat. Zim and I would sit together from time to time and chat. I wanted to tell their stories because they were hung out. Yeah, they yeah, were. Because I guess hung the questions out. about Mike had nothing with Michael Vick. Really, it weren't was, about football, right? It Man. wasn't. No, nothing about football. I mean, but they were hung out there again. Like he would just relocate to Atlanta. Uh, Zim just did all these coaches. And then the guy who brought him there quits. Petrino walked. It was horrible. All the coaches he brought from Louisville just felt awkward because they thought all the coaches, like the veteran coaches like Hugh and Zim, would hate them because they, they had ties to Bobby. And that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. And, and, it w- and it was a really, you know, just a really odd dynamic that everybody was caught up in. And like Hugh said, it was like, let me tell a story why Hugh Jackson's career shouldn't all of a sudden take a downturn from an OC because this wasn't his fault, why Zim shouldn't be, his career shouldn't take a downturn from a DC, his first, because it's both your your first time coordinating jobs too, right, you?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, sir.
1: You know, shouldn't take a downturn because of this, and you know, look, they each landed on their, you know, their feet in Cincinnati, and you know, did did great things there.
0: Yeah, sometimes that situation, you, you that hand you're dealt, right, it isn't one of your own, and you got to work through it, and coach and i have had a lot of conversations about uh, you know playing with the hand you're dealt so really? so oh, i want to i, I want to dive right in then because the first thing obviously what this every week we're taking a division and and we're going to do just a, a little a deep dive on on the teams and who's who has a legitimate shot and this week i think you came you came on in a good week steve because we're doing the afc west but we're going to start and i think i've i'm just i've lived in actually every city of of these four so I've I've got ties to all of them, so I love them all. Uh, But we're going to start in Denver with the Broncos. Some questions going into the offseason at quarterback. They kind of addressed it. How do you – what's your take on on the Broncos? Just so you know, um, that's one of the teams that – I know it's not going to happen. Hugh doesn't think it will, but I am going to pack up – Adam Rank and I are going to pack up a moving truck and take Aaron Rodgers out of – we're both Bears fans, just so you know that. Ahead of time, uh, we're going to pack up Aaron Rodgers and take him to Denver. But if that doesn't happen, what do you, what do you think they look like this it's, year? It's
1: not happening. The I know. I know. Not <laughs> him. Hey, Hugh, it is Aaron Rodgers plays for us, or he plays for nobody. That you can't. I there's know. no way they win that, right? So that's not going to happen. There's there's no win for them whatsoever. Even if they get three first round draft picks, that is a different fan base. You cannot do that, right? You cannot do that there. So, but in terms of the Broncos, it's crazy. It sounds they're not that far off. I mean, you first off, you look at their offensive line. Their offensive line is really really good. They have put some pieces in place there to have a really strong offensive line. They've got a very good tight end and fant. Their wide receivers are really good, those big wide outs. They've got running backs and if you can keep your edge guys healthy. You know, if you can keep Von Miller Um, healthy and I'm blanking on the other uh, the young guy who's coming off the knee as well on the other side um, off the edge keep him healthy look they've got one of the best safeties in the NFL and Justin Simmons Um, they've got players so Drew Locke is the issue but if he stumbles Teddy Bridgewater can win you ball games with the way they're built the only thing is when you play the Kansas Cities of the world and when you play the Chargers of the world you may have to put up 32 And I just don't know if that's the type of team that can consistently put up those types of numbers. Hell, when you play the Raiders, you might have to put up 32. That 32 is going to be a little easier to come by against Las Vegas than it will against Kansas City or the Chargers. Um, But Denver, I'm telling you, man, they're not nearly as far off as some people may think. They've got players and their their lines on both sides are really, really good.
0: Coach, uh, you know it's it's weird that we're talking about they got to you know score thirty two with a Vic Fangio defense, but um, do you think the offense? You know Teddy Bridgewater obviously is there. As, I'm assuming as insurance, right? Locks the starter. Uh, do you think they have enough firepower, or, or is he a good enough? Will he be good enough to get them those points that they need?
2: Well, I think uh, that's the question. You know, I think that's the question that has to be answered. I think uh, I think Steve said it well. They have enough talent, offensive talent. You know, you put Gordon in that as well. You put Judy in that as well. Right. They have fans that can really play. They have an offensive line. They're ready to take off. It's the quarterback position. So Teddy Bridgewater has won games and played at a high level. So that's the reason why he's there. I think this is the time where Vic needs to take that next jump. And he's one of the best defensive strategists there is in football. So uh, it's going to be interesting. They have to score. Uh, on offense and, and they need to score 28 to 30 points a game to be in games, especially in that division, because there's two very talented quarterbacks in that division that's going to be playing. So uh, I think uh, if they get off to not a very good start, they will be playing Teddy Bridgewater because they're going to need a spark uh, to uplift their offensive football team. But at the same time, if the defense, they have a new young corner in Sertan, the kid that came from Alabama, and so he's going to bring a different dynamic to that defense as well. So if they play defense the way I know Vic likes to play defense, they're, they're normally used to giving up, you know, 18, 20 points a game uh, and, and keeping the game close. But you're playing against some really explosive offenses in that debate. Yeah, And, and, and,
1: and, and, and don't forget Bradley, – Bradley Chubb, Bradley Chubb was the other rusher I, I yeah. couldn't think of.
2: Uh, Me too.
0: Um,
2: yeah, but and I, I was going to say, you, don't forget
0: they signed my guy, Kyle Fuller, from the Bears too, so they've got some help in the secondary too. Yeah, they do.
1: He can play. And real quick, Hugh, if they don't get off to a good start, the only change might not be happening at quarterback.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, Vic Fangio is one of those coaches coming to the uh, season who's got a pretty short plank. Mm
0: -hmm. So you mentioned the one team that they might have some – the easiest time scoring on is going to be the – I was going to call them Oakland, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, Again, another one where, you know, I don't want to say questions at quarterback, but questions at quarterback – is their defense good enough? What, what are your, what's your take on the, on the Raiders?
1: I don't think, look, the way that John Gruden plays, Derek Carr is fine. That's, that's the, that's one of the least of their Mm -hmm. worries. It's defense. Look, and Gus Bradley coming in there, he's, they're going to, they're going to be, well, I won't say they're going to be, they should be much better. Gus is aggressive. He comes up with some really creative schemes. Hugh, you've coached against them. I mean, you know, he can overload. He can overload the side of the football with three pass rushers, and you're thinking that okay, all we got to do is slide everybody over there. But those guys are, are beaters, right? They they can yeah. beat whatever. But he doesn't have those guys. You know, he doesn't have Ingram and Bosa and Nwosu no. and guys like that down there. And so, I'm interested to see, you know, how he does it because again, he he tilts the field a lot on with his defensive schemes. It just has guys who can win one-on-one. Um, they just they just haven't I, – I don't – you know, that's a team when you're putting you – they're putting it together, you're like, what what's kind of going on? You know, some people say that they reach for Leatherwood in the first round. I, I don't know. But, look, that's an area they had to address because they're old and they lost a lot of players on that side of the ball. So, if he works out, their offense, you know, it should be pretty good because Josh Jacobs is a stud. Yep. I didn't realize he was going to be this good. I mean, he's really, really good. And, you know, they're tied in now. Yeah, he's pretty good, he's too. Good. <laughs> he's, I, I covered I covered a game against the Dolphins, and he was the best player on the field. I mean, I don't know why they didn't throw it to him 30 times because Waller, Darren Waller was catching anything short, intermediate. deep. I would have thrown it to him until they stopped it because Miami tried to single him up. Mm -hmm. um man him up all over the field with some help over the top and he was he's too big and he's too fast so he's a great threat and again Derek Carr people can say what they want to him he does have some untimely giveaways when he when he gives it away it's usually wrong time of the game um but their issues are still on defense and that's where you can't have them in this division because again you got you got some quarterbacks you got some people who can go you got some (laughs) wide receivers who can go
0: yeah, it's, it's – it's, uh, Coach, What, what do you, what's your take on – I know that
2: you're – your old team? <laughs> yeah. No, Raiders uh, – the pieces is what bothers me. Uh, the Raiders are not built in the same vision as I know the Raiders has. Big, fast, physical. They, they've kind of gotten away from that. That's been the Raiders' way for years. And when you look at their team, they're not built like that anymore. They just lost a lot of offensive linemen. They needed to address that, so you got young players that are playing in a scoring division that that have to produce really fast. Great runner. They have a young receiver who they drafted high. He disappeared. You know, what is going to happen with him this year? And that was no fault of Derek Carr. I Mm -hmm. mean, that system that's getting people the ball, that's creating opportunities for players. And John is one of the great strategists, so something's not right there. Let's just be honest. Something didn't happen the right way there. and But Darren Waller is as good as any tight end in the National Football League. There's no question about it. He's big, fast, tough, and he's really developed and come into his own. But defensively, that's going to be the Achilles heel because they don't have great secondary players. They can't cover, and they're in a division where the ball is going to get thrown. And they'll be more simple uh, with Gus because Gus is a tremendous defensive coordinator. But at the same time, you don't have the pieces – you, you can be whoever you want to be. It just doesn't work out right. You're playing against Tyreek Hill and, you know, you're playing against all these guys that can really play football at a high level week in and week out. That's a big challenge. So I think they're in a tough spot. Uh, what's going to happen? What, what is that organization going to do? I, I think people are going to start um, whispering, you know, what should happen there in the future.
0: Do you put another tight end maybe, other than maybe Kelsey and Kittle above Waller, the way he looked last season. Do you think he kind of takes? Is he in that
1: echelon of tight end?
2: Oh no, I, I think he is. I think he's one hundred percent. Put him on those teams, he do just what they're doing. One hundred percent,
1: and he and he's faster than, he's faster than both of them. He's not mm-hmm. nearly as tough as a blocker as Kittle. I mean, Kittle's a monster. Yes, <laughs> but he he's he's fast, man, and I mean, you can't guard him. He's he's too big.
0: So, so you mentioned the 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 wide receivers that they're going to face. That defense is going to face. Obviously, one of those teams is the Chargers that just has some offensive weapons. Last season, a once in a lifetime freak incident. I guess I'll call it an incident. And Tyrod Taylor gets you know obviously injured or the, it just the punctured lung, just weird. And and Justin comes in and looks fantastic. Are, are is he ready? Is that team ready to take the next? step in that division
1: well i'll say this every year we see the chargers are going to take the next step and they're and they're. but i mean look there's there's one simple reason why every year guys injuries they are the most buzzard luck team when it comes to injuries in the nfl and they almost always happen across the offensive line which happened last year so they were very strategic they go out and get lindsley at center from the packers who a lot of people say is the best center right? They go out and get um, – I'm, I'm blanking on who they go out and get on the offensive line. They draft that's a tackle, okay, and, they, and they, they, get a, they get a guard in free agency who's really good, right? So their offensive line looks solid. Durability, that's the key, okay? Now, running back Austin Eckler's nice for what they do. Um, you know, Joe Lombardi comes from the Saints. He's not Alvin Kamara, but he could very much be used in that type of role. Um You know, that may be where they need a little bit more depth. But we know you got Keenan Allen. You got Mike Williams. You got some guys on the outside. Um, They got Jared Cook, a tight end, too, who's going to be a flex tight end for him a little bit. And then defensively, I mean, they could be frightening. They they could be frightening now. Their head coach, um, when he was with the Rams last year, I, I did not know much about him. But, Hugh, some of the stuff that he schemed up, I had not i had not seen before. Like, look, um, Leonard Floyd was just a, kind of the dude for those years in Chicago. He was spectacular. Now, playing next to Aaron Donald would do that, but they got the dudes down there with the Chargers. I mean, you got Bosa. You've got Tillery. You've got Nwosu. Uh, you got the, the young inside linebacker out of Oklahoma. They got Derwin James. Now, he's healthy. If he's healthy in that scheme, he's going to be used a lot, in, in like a slot outside linebacker and be used at, at free and, and, and strong. Um, and with that quarterback, I mean, mm-hmm. Justin Herbert, they could be a really, really, really good team. I mean, they could be really good. And to me, their only Achilles heel every year was injuries because they had the players.
0: Yeah, it's listen, every team, not every team, obviously injuries will always play a factor and you can't predict those. I know obviously the Chargers had some late game issues in the past too, but um, they looked good. Like I said, Justin Herbert looked good. I was surprised at how good he looked coming in. And I think it hurts, um, you know, some of these other early draft quarterbacks because you expect them to just come in and play like that too. And not everybody can do that. You know, coach, I think Chargers defense might actually be underrated very often, but do you think? What is your take on the Chargers? I keep wanting to call them Sandy. I feel like they should go back to San Diego. I don't
2: know. <laughs> well, I, live just,
1: in, I, live, I live in LA. There's a lot of people here. Who
2: <laughs> <might>. Yes. <laughs> the Chargers are always the team that, as Steve said, you think where well, they're headed for stardom and then something happens. Yeah. Uh, my biggest concern is uh, here's a guy who broke every rookie record passing last year, set the standard for what, Rookie quarterback should be able to do, but they changed the people around him. And um, that's, to me, is is concerning. Uh, I don't care who you bring in. Somebody was able to coach this kid to a level that no one has seen in the national football league. He set every record. And I thought Pep, Pep Hamilton did an outstanding yep. job. So now all of a sudden, that guy's crutch and the way Pep coached him can they duplicate that? you know, there's, there's a lot of things that says you can't, there's some things that says you can't, we're going to find out. And so I think that's what my biggest concern is. I think they'll be good on defense. There's no question. I think the coach is, is very well uh, versed at that strategy, obviously, but he also came from a team that had two of the most dominant players in the national football League, and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, you know, along with some other guys. So, I think there's still – got to prove some things here. Uh, it's yet to be seen, but they have a tremendous staff. They have a young quarterback who's as talented as anybody. They have an offensive line, as Steve went through, that is, I think, going to be emerging. Um, they have, you know, need to continue to get runners for this quarterback. Um, defensively, they, they could be scary. You have Ingram, Bosa. I mean, those guys, two guys together, are just a nightmare within themselves. I mean, you had all the rest of the talent they have to it. Uh, it could be scary, and they play in a division that if they can get it going, they should be able to score because Keenan Allen's as good as anybody in in the league at what he does, and so it, it's it's going to be interesting. Real real real, real quick, yeah. Coach said something. Oh, I don't
1: know if we're going to circle back and do this with it. Pep Hamilton. How the hell he's not somebody's offensive quarter, coordinator right now is to me is one of the bigger travesties of. Uh, of, of the coaching hiring cycle in the NFL. I mean, he, was, he did a very good job. It was Andrew, Andrew Lux, OC, with the Colts, got caught up in a coaching philosophy. You know, you had, one, you had somebody saying, "We got this great quarterback, we need to throw it 100 times, and Pep's like, did you see how good our offense was when we're running it and throwing it? And so, you know, he got caught up in that. But then he goes there, he takes this rook who was getting scout team reps, debuts against the Chiefs, Lights it up. Wasn't like they were playing from behind that game. It was toe-to-toe. I covered that game. And Pep did just an incredible job teaching him. Like I said, when you had injury after a pounce, he's down. All these guys in the offensive line are down. Hunter Henry's in and out of the lineup. And he coaches his kid up. And Hugh is, – I'm sorry. And and, and Pep, I mean, he really didn't get any serious sniffs to be in OC, which is amazing. Especially because you're a quality human being as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Coach and I, many times, have talked about it, it's, it's as much the QB coach, the OC around the quarterback that will make or break their their whole career in those first early years, those developmental years, and not enough people look and give them enough attention because they're the keys to any quarterback success, any team success, really. Uh, the other thing we talked about, which you both touched on, was offensive line. I feel like every team we've talked about through every week, we talk about their offensive line, and yet you've got teams who don't pay enough attention to their offensive line. So I know there's only you know there's a finite amount of good offensive linemen but it should be a priority, right? For every team. Um, I, I want to circle back because I mentioned they should move back to San Diego. They should also take that team, right? That plays in our arena coach, that basketball team, and take them down to San Diego with them, I think.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Get the clippers out. <laughs>
0: yeah, paper clips. Um, all right. So the last the last team, uh, I don't know if you've you know covered them much over the last couple of years. They got a pretty good quarterback too. Um, the Chiefs. So I got to, I got, I'm going to start right with the, unfortunately, the bad news. Can the Chiefs, be the team, and there's only been three in the history of the NFL, and i got to look over to make sure I get them right, the 71 Cowboys, the 72 Dolphins, and the 18 Patriots. Those are the only three teams. You know what they did?
2: Three, three years in a
0: row. They're Those are the only three teams that came back from a Super Bowl loss <laughs> to win a Super Bowl. Or will the Chiefs be like most, that, that Super Bowl loss jinx, I guess they're calling it, where do you, do you think they overcome that jinx? Will they be They'll be just fine, right? We think.
1: I, bet, I think so, because <laughs> they got number 15. There you go. I mean, you have him. You know, look, those two teams in the 70s, those are run-dominant football teams, right? I mean, and they had like just superstar defenses. Um, you got Patrick Mahomes, and you've got that fleet of wideouts that they have, you know, and you've got Kelsey. Got, got some pretty good running backs there, too. We got depth. I mean, you got depth for days at running back. They get – uh, Duvarne Tardif back, you know, who took last season off for COVID to go work at hospitals up in Canada. He's a really good guard. Now, Kyle Long was someone they were, they were counting on. He's hurt. He's not going to be back for a while, but I think they, they you know, they, they added some players on that offensive line after letting Fisher um, and Schwartz walk, and they replaced these guys with some good talent. I mean, they got um, my big guy from, from the Ravens, Lando Baller. Right, right, right Brown. Brown. Right. So, so now they got a mauler, right? And people forget Andy Reid has had maulers before, John Runyon and guys like that back in the day. So we might see a little, a little change in what they do, just a little bit, not a ton. Defensively, we'll see. I mean, I don't think they're that worried about. It. Yeah. Look, they're they're <laughs> better than they were
0: two years ago, right? When they won the yes. Super Bowl. Yes. I I think the yeah. defense is better than that. So I,
1: I would think so. I would think so. But look, they're so well coached. The staff is insane. I mean, their coaching staff is really good. And look, I think they're going to have to work harder than they have um, to get back. But here's one thing. And this is where I want to get Hugh's take on this. Hugh, the last two off seasons, to me, are reasons why I don't think, you know, teams getting back to the Super Bowl, it's as difficult because they're not getting grounded. Right. they play later than everybody, but these guys aren't in the building. They're not going through the grind of the off seasons that teams used to go through. And I think you know now that there's 17 games, you know it, it's all depth and how you manage this. And very few people have managed players and people like Andy Reid. And, and and so that's why I think it's not going to be as absurd to see either of these teams potentially get back, meaning Tampa Bay in Kansas City because these coaches, veteran coaches, who know how to deal with people, um, getting these guys ready at the right time
2: to win football games. I think that's a, a big thing that people don't understand, how important having that leader who understands his football team and what his team really needs to play at a high level week in and week out, how to manage them in the off season, how to get the veteran players who really count, who are really going to contribute to your team ready to play at a high level week in and week out. And you just said it, that's two of the best that can do it, and Bruce and, and Coach Reed. Uh, but I think Kansas City has an improved team this year. They have an improved team on the offensive line. I mean, they were not very good in the Super Bowl. one because of the quarterback. It was because of the offensive line. Right. Uh, they have, they're have they playing with backups everywhere almost. And so when you look at that, they, they got rid of two very high draft picks. Said, see you, and and went and got Orlando Brown. I to me it was amazing to me how they pulled that off because you would think that maybe Cincinnati or someone else with a very good quarterback too would be trying to do the same thing, but they had their eye, they had a plan in place, they knew what they needed to do because they're going to be competitive, they're into winning championships, you know. So they were going to get people that were going to give them a chance to win championships, and that's what they've done. Uh, I, I would not be surprised to see them back in the Super Bowl again, just like I wouldn't be surprised seeing Tampa Bay back in Super Bowl.
0: It is my way too early prediction that it's going to be a repeat, but it, I don't think that's a big stretch considering uh, the mm-hmm. two teams we're, we're talking about. Is there a different, may, maybe this is an obvious question, coach. Is there a different mentality between the organizations or coaches that just want to win and coaches and organization that want to win a Super Bowl?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the mindset of improving players. I mean, they they their process is if we're gonna let somebody go, we're going to get somebody better. They're not just going to get somebody that's competent. They're going to get a better.
1: Yeah, and you know, you know, it looks like I think Hughes uh, Wi-Fi small yeah. a little bit. But look on those plans, that that plan that's it's not like that plan is new. Like they waited to let those guys go. They have been working on this, you know, and that's why you see some teams consistently win. I mean, how many times you look at the Patriots? Like, oh, they lost this guy to free agency and that guy to free agency, and the next thing you know, they've got some players who are better. And and Hugh and I will say this, and Hugh knows this, not to be smirched, but Hugh call me a liar if I am. He, he's worked for two clubs that at the time he coached them had different philosophies. Everybody says they want to win championships. But in terms of building your organization a certain way to do that and having a certain culture in the building, do you you think those Chiefs guys don't want to come to work every day? They want to be in that building. Do you think, you know, those guys in Tampa, they aren't having fun? But you go to some clubs, man, it is drudgery for not just the players but other people and other departments to come into their building because they're fearful of their supervisor. That's because their supervisor is fearful of the owner or fearful of telling somebody something where they're just, there's so many different layers that aren't connected. That's not in Kansas city, right? That's not with the Rams. That's not with the 49ers. That's not with the Patriots. That's not with the Buffalo bills. That's not with the Buccaneers. You know, and, and that's why those teams are, are going to consistently be there because even when there is turnover, they already have somebody in the chute, not just an idea, but somebody in the chute to fill that void who coaches can coach, who players want to play with, and someone who fit, fits properly into the culture that they've established.
0: But not everybody enjoyed their time in Kansas City. Oh, hold on, coach, you're on mute.
2: What Steve just said is so true. The culture of the teams he mentioned, just go look at it. Those guys are about winning. They're not about anything else. And like you said, people say they want to win. But you can look at how they draft. You can look at who's on the team and what they're trying to do. And and you can tell pretty quickly where this is going to head.
0: Sometimes running a business is, is different than winning a Super Bowl. Absolutely. Sometimes they meet and it's good, but sometimes
2: they don't. Most times they don't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. I'm trying to be nice. Uh, I was was starting to say there was some, there was one player who wasn't happy. However, um, uh, under Andy Reid, Le'Veon Bell has come out and kind of had some choice words. Is it just Le'Veon being Le'Veon, we move on or any, and I I like the fact that uh, uh, Tyron Matthew came out and stood up for his coach. That's a great sign, obviously, but. Anything Le'Veon Bell is, is Le'Veon Bell going to have a team this year? <laughs>
1: I love that. This is just laughing. Well, that that didn't help because Le'Veon no. Bell is the first player I have ever heard publicly come out and crack Andy Reid ever. Yeah. At, you know, went from position coach or whatever. Yeah. And Hugh, you know, Andy, that is a great
2: human being. Yeah. No, he does. I mean, he, there's no issues with players. No. Okay. No. No. <laughs> for, for Le'Veon to come out and say that, he, strategically hurt himself right you know, you got to be very careful i mean you're now i mean patrick Mahone, if patrick Mahone said that that's different you right. know right. but this is Le'Veon bell who wasn't playing who wasn't getting opportunities and there's a reason why he wasn't so we understand where his disappointment came from but at the same time that team was in the super bowl i mean what's going on here <laughs>
0: yeah does does look obviously i'm not cracking any news stories here by saying that year that Le'Veon Bell held out after he came back, obviously it wasn't a great situation, um, but never obviously looked the same again. Does that create hesitation from other players who might be threatening? Like, do they see what happened to him and say, ah, "I'm going to work, I'm going to work a deal out" because I don't want to sit out of here because that might happen to me, or or is every individual you think just takes it as I'm going to be different than him?
1: Uh, I will think that those players will say, "I'm not going to sit out of here because I'm not losing that money."
0: Right,
1: he's never going to recoup that money. I mean, he yeah. he can go he can go in and, and be the next Jeff Bezos, but that's still in a singular year. You know, uh, eleven million dollars, whatever it was, he's not going to have back. That that's why players are going to do that because in you know, when you play this game, you do have a finite right, you finite time to play, and they're not going to they're not going to pass that up.
0: I want to switch gears to basketball because. You know, coach and I, we do, we do love you know, our team's out, but still, we're watching the playoffs. Um, I'm gonna start with just the easy question Are you watching? Are you rooting for anybody? Is or do you have a pick now? That, and and here's the yeah, thing. Yes. a lot of injuries, right? And because I know you used yeah. to cover basketball, yeah. you know, it's it, obviously for us as Laker fans, LeBron being hurt, AD being hurt, killed our chances. You're now seeing the Nets with two of their stars down um i blame it on the shortened season some people argue uh, or the shortened offseason some people argue with me on that point but what what's what do you see happening in the playoffs
1: i mean i I think that's part of it i mean i I don't see how it's not. and having covered the nba you know and this is why i never judge an nba player's injury these dudes are tall right steph curry looks puny he's 6'3 right i'm 6'2 and he's he stands above me and so when they sprain an ankle, that's a lot of leg and a lot of tendon that, that can go down, right? They pull a hammy. That's a lot of hammy. If you're 6'8", six, 6'9", six, that can be injured. So, um, yeah, I, I think the shortened off shortened offseason. Um, I think the way the game is now, where it is just transition basketball, jack up a three, long rebound, roll, right? There ain't no banging anymore. There's nobody settling in, right? You're not backing up on defense. You're turning and running and hoping to get in position to stop fast break dunk, or you're rotating over to try to stop a deep three. So, yeah, I mean, the, the game is a little different. It's not as physical in terms of bruises, but you can see the soft tissue injury. Basketball players just never get hamstring injuries. Hugh, when you and I were coming up playing football, that was what we did. You play basketball in the offseason to get in shape and to avoid hamstring injuries. Never, never happened. Never. Ha- that's how you trained your hamstrings, backpedal and jump. You don't see guys who can hamstring injuries left, right, and center now. Yes. But, yes, I am watching the playoffs. My sons are huge fans. They're huge Atlanta Hawks fans, right? They spent most of the year going, their lives growing up in Atlanta. So I'm pulling for them. I grew up a Lakers fan. I'm going to be Lakers, you know, until I die. You know, the old teams, even going back, you know, Silk Wilkes was my guy. I used to love those Byron Scott teams, all those guys, but, and Kareem. But I am pulling – for the Atlanta Hawks, that city has had just sports <laughs> just disaster. Today,
0: they, their future looks good. Trey Young looks like, you know, I know the whole Luka Doncic thing will f- yeah. forever, you know, shadow his career. But he looks like the real deal, like especially He's a real in deal. these playoffs, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, the one thing I say about their team, and I, and, I, and I joked about it on Twitter last night is that the Sixers look all look like Miles Garrett standing next to the Hawks. The Hawks, Hawks got to do something We're about here. their strength their strength and conditioning coach. <laughs> That's something. they got to change their program a bit. <laughs> they look small.
0: <laughs> I heard there's a good place to get some chicken wings, but maybe we'll talk about that another time.
1: <laughs> I know <laughs> nothing about <yeah>. it. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: coach, um, now that our team's out, is there anyone you're kind of watching a little bit closer than
2: anybody else yeah, I want to see Brooklyn do well um, because I like the three players uh, because they're offensive stars. Obviously, um, Harden's back playing tonight, and I knew he would be. Everybody said, "Oh, he won't play." He's playing. And uh, From out to doubtful the questionable to starting real at, quick. At, you. <laughs> I so I, I mean I think um, I love to see them do it. I don't want to see the Clippers any no. way, shape, or form. Uh, no. This maybe even that they're still in it, but uh, I love watching Trey Young play. Uh, he's a tremendous talent, uh, and obviously he's an offensive star. But the guy had 18 assists last night, you know, uh, broke the record. Uh, there's never been a young player that's had that many assists as young is in a playoff game. So uh, I'm glad to see um, Phoenix doing well. I love watching them play. Yeah, I love seeing Paul do do well because every it seems like every team he's been on, and they've had great records, and then he gets into the playoffs and gets hurt. Yep. That's why when he was the Lakers early in the, I'm like, oh, okay, here it goes again, and then all of a sudden he overcame that, and, you know, they, they beat our Lakers and they've made it uh, to the conference finals. So uh, I'm Chris has done a great job. Devin Booker is a real deal. And real I'm deal. Still- uh, Mani's deserving of this opportunity and what he's doing with the Phoenix Suns. Well, look, real quick,
1: you know, we we, we talked about how our teams build a culture. Three or four years ago, you had never forget. Remember the uh, the old uh, woman, like a granny, came at the owner talking about they want us to pay for an arena. They've been giving us this trash <laughs> right. of a team and this and that. Like, and she was just talking about the bad trades of free agent acquisition, and they changed that so quick, It's easier to do in the NBA because you're, you're, you're talking 13 players as opposed to 53. Just a much smaller environment. But you hire Monty Williams. He comes in and he takes Devin Booker and, he, and they draft Andre Aiden, right? And they get some players that play well with each other and off of each other. And they have established a culture there where you can't tell me free agents are, they're going to be trying to get to Phoenix now. They're going to be trying to get to play with with those guys, uh, because they're going to have something rolling for a while, maybe not with Chris Paul because of his age, but they got an excellent nucleus,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Coach, and I did. We talked about Chris Paul and, and, and his injuries, that, that history, uh, in the playoffs specifically. But once they knocked out the Lakers, that that became hey, you're Steve's gonna think I'm some kind of transient because I also lived in Phoenix too for a while. Um, uh, <laughs> I've, I've lived in too many cities, but yeah, no, that's that's where I'm pulling for. I, I was not a big Chris Paul guy he's proven me wrong every day so I'm, I'm gonna go I'm gonna stick with them um, there's some coaching news too as we're going through these these playoffs and there's two specific I want to talk to you about because it leads into something else that I want to ask you so Stotts uh, uh, in Portland mutually they agreed uh, to kind of part ways but right away the second that happened there was the pay, uh, the pay get rid of their coach who there was some whether the stories were true or not about what was going on there and it's oh yeah and they have a history with thoughts so it might be just a a flip for him from Blazers right into to the Pacers coaching that doesn't really give other coaches an opportunity to really interview and see who's really the best coach for that job because it's hey we have this relationship and we're bringing them over I obviously we don't know if there's any validity to that at this point but what what do you think Steve is it is it the wrong way to do things where hey there's another job now waiting for me so I'm going to mutually agree to kind of move on?
1: Well, I mean, look, the NBA is, is very insular that way because everybody's got guaranteed contracts and you know when you leave a team you go offset and go to a salary with another team. So look coaches they, they recycle coaches far more than the NFL. I mean that's why at least you know when I saw that Portland was considering uh Becky Hammond and Don Staley, I was like, okay. Yeah. All right, at least you know you're, you're you're being open-minded. I don't think it's a stunt, um, but you know when you still see you know the Van Gundy's of the world, and that's you know getting getting opportunities when they've done it for a while, and they don't promote. I mean, I covered Pat Riley for for a while down in uh, Miami, and at the time Eric Spolter was their advanced scout video guy. I would be on planes when I when I ended up working in Washington covering the NBA. I'd be on planes with Spo all the time because he's scouting them. He's got the a team, you know, they're playing things like that. And then Pat Riley had groomed him to be a head coach and look, look where they are. I mean, you had some coaches who would do that. Say, say what you want about Jerry Krause. The fact that he took a chance on a CBA coach and, yeah. and Phil Jackson because worked he saw up, something worked in pretty him. well. Yeah. And from the Albany Patroons. um, you know, but he saw the type of team, the players that he had gotten there, and it worked out. And just too often, the NBA, you're like, okay, so what's Terry Stott's going to do to bring the Pacers better? I, Terry I, I, Stott, I, look, Terry Stott's coaching in Milwaukee when I covered you. I don't think he's ever coached a team in the finals. I mean, so what are you trying to do? That's why I'd love to see Monty Williams get the promotions, the promotion to Phoenix that he got. Yeah. You know, he was always an assistant coach, and then he got, this opportunity we see how well like you know one dude who needs to be recycled and kept is nate mcmillan right down in atlanta they change night and day when they change coaches so you know we'll we'll see but hopefully you know people like dawn staley and becky hammond get some opportunities yeah that was, that was gonna the be game. the next
0: name right was becky hammond like do you think she's uh head coaching next year like if if you were a betting man would you say she gets it because i think she deserves it of, of of a lot of the ones that are out there i think she's
1: ready but she seems like the only assistant coach from greg popovich to never get a head coaching job right all the others did i mean mike brown kerr all these guys yep. so it's a good one to learn uh, under her yeah so I, i'd love to see it do i think she will now
0: no but
1: coach. i i i would love to see it
2: coach what are, what are, you, what are you thinking i think she will yeah. I, there's a movement that's going on in sports Football and basketball. I think you're going to see the first woman offensive coordinator here pretty soon uh, on in football, you know, or defensive coordinator, or special teams coordinator. It's going to happen. Uh, just like I think you're going to see the first woman's head coach. I just my my struggle is because there's so many other coaches, you know, and I think and and I'm all for uh, the ladies getting their opportunities they should. I'm not not against that, but there's so many men who are being passed over, you know. Uh, When I think of that, the dynamic of that time, when I think of Eric Fianney, when I think of Pep Hamilton, I think of the people who have paid the dues and and they're ready. Not that the ladies haven't, but I just see a more movement that women are getting more opportunities right now than the men are getting right now. You know, and that's maybe more football because I see it that way, but I hear what's happening in basketball, but I think that's going to start happening too because I just think that's where our world is trending, you know.
0: So one of the things with the coaches, we talked about kind of getting opportunities. So since the NBA-ABA merger, 237 head coaches, 124 of them were ex-players. Of that 124, 62 were Black head coaches, so 50%. 113 didn't have playing experience. 14 of them, 12%, were Black coaches. I know, again, I'm not saying anything earth shattering, but the question is why and how can we change the fact that if you're not an NBA player, if you're a black NBA player, you're not getting a head coaching job.
1: Boy, that's a tough one. Because again, I, I covered the NBA for seven and a half years. And I thought the number would, would have been significantly more of, of GMs and coaches who are former players. Because it seemed like everybody was a former player. You know, I guess like the George Carls of the world. Did he? Did he ever play... In the NBA, I'm I'm not sure, but um, that it's 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 an intriguing one because you do see a lot of black assistants on staff, and you know it's kind of the knock you hear about offensive and defensive linemen not getting head uh, coaching jobs. You don't see a lot of big big men. Um, black or white, getting head coaching jobs. You know, Patrick Hewing, when he got the Georgetown job, people were like, "Okay, he's one of the big men who might be able to break through," even though he coached in the NBA forever as an assistant. Um, it's 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 a little bit more peculiar in the NBA, especially with the recycling of people like a Terry Stotts or you know, you got guys like that who just who've never really the same excuse that was held against Tony Dungy for just not getting your team over the hump does not seem to be used. For certain people, right. particularly white head coaches, keep continuing to get uh recycled, and so you know it's just it's to me again it's so insular because it seems like everybody has played, even the general managers are you know seem to be former players, mm-hmm. Um and I and I just don't I I, I don't understand why because it's kind of like Eric Piano. you remember when Brian Shaw was like the hot dude for like five so, years? Right. Yes.
2: It, didn't, it didn't get a shot. Didn't get a job. Didn't get mm-hmm. shot.
1: I mean, what, what was that? So, I, you know, it, it's, a, it's, just a, it's just a very it, – it is so insular. It really is. And it's cutthroat because, like I said, the, the guaranteed salaries, even for GMs and all – when I covered, man, these dudes, if things started getting sideways with your team, the undercutting and the backbiting was the most savage stuff um, that I ever heard. And so I don't know if some of that stuff carries on when a GM goes to another team and has the opportunity to hire someone like, Oh no, that dude's a snake. He may be a good coach, but I, not, not here. So I, I don't know if that's one of the reasons why, when it comes to the diverse, the diversity issue, but I, I'm with you. I think more people need to start getting opportunities instead of the recycling going
0: on. Yeah. Cause well, it's trending in the look, NBA is trending in the wrong direction. It's funny. You brought up Tony Dungy in 06. There was two black head coaches, right? Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith. And since that point, there's been less head coaches. Since there was, and it's a copycat league, but we didn't didn't seem to copy that trend, um, Coach.
2: I know how you feel, um, but yeah, I, I, it's like you said. I've said it so many times. I don't think I can say it anymore. Um, okay. Bottom line is, I just think until everybody understands the history and the history is talked about more okay, and understand why we are where we are, because I think you have to understand it all before you can really dive into it and, and get deep in it. I know more about the NFL than I do in the NBA. Um, you know, the 100 year history, of the league, 19 minority head coaches, you have to go back. When was the first minority player? When was the first minority coach? And then that's gotta tell you something. You know, why is it that way? Well, because we wasn't seen as before. And I think the same things happening in the NBA and there's outliers to everything. There's been outliers in the NFL, been outliers in the NBA. The guys have done a great job. I mean, look at Mike Tomlin right now. What he's done is phenomenal. But at the same time, there, why is that there are three guys, four guys, who I know just done it like that at that level? Marvin Lewis wasn't seen as great, but he was. But what he did in Cincinnati, look where Cincinnati is today. You know, so people just, it's it's the narratives that get spun. It's the things that get said. But at the same time, there needs to be more of a intentional, piece of this out there so people can really hear it and it's got to stay out there and that's hard to do um it's hard
0: to do no and i listen i know we've talked about it a lot and i bring it up every couple of weeks because one i think it's one of those things that if you don't continually talk about it it Mm -hmm. will get swept under the rug and no one will talk about and again this is no knock to female coaches but i feel like that's become the bigger story is hey let's get more female voices in sports which we need let's get more female coaches which we need but let's not forget there's, there's, you know, there's other, th- I think we can do multiple things, right? We don't have to just focus on one and say, hey, this is our, you know, this is our baby this week. Let's focus on this. We can focus on all. There's there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of good. We should talk about them all. And and speaking about talking about good things, both of you, obviously, uh, Steve, I know you went, to, you went to Howard. We talked about it at the beginning. Coach is now coaching at uh, TSU. HBCUs have started to come back in terms of the conversation with guys like deon sanders and, and eddie george and and it's interesting because i'm doing right now uh, kind of a top 30 nfl players that played at hbcu so i'm going through kind of releasing one every day and hopefully you know getting some people some knowledge of what used to be right obviously my favorite player of all time Walter payton attended an hbcu so no surprise he's gonna be near the top if not at the top of my list uh but we're going through this and and it's just, you know, zero draft picks out of HBCU last year. We talked about it and we said, hey, it's because they're not getting that recognition. They talked about it on I Am Athlete. I think it was Channing Crowder who said, well, yeah, if you got a chance to go to Alabama, you're going to go to Alabama. You're not going to go to, you know, Jackson or Tennessee State or uh, these other schools. Is that something that players and coaches, obviously with more high profile coaches like yourself, coach, um, and also alum? getting more exposure to those schools to draw in those kind of high-profile uh, players so that they can increase their exposure? Like, what would what would the steps that you would take to, to increase that exposure?
2: I think people are looking at the transfer portal right now. There's a ton of players there. So players want an opportunity to play. And what better place to showcase your talent and ability than in <laughs> the FCU, where there were some of the greatest players ever to play the game. Uh, I think uh, has changed. There's some high profile names there now. I think the players respect and understand they're going to be taught a different brand of football. They're gonna be educated on the NFL way. The environment's gonna be created for them to be as good as they can be. So I think NFL has to take a better look, you know, and a look and say, hey look, there are, are some ta- there is some talent there. I know last year people running it on COVID and, and that could be the case. If it is, it is. But at the same time they are, there's going to be some changes this year. They're going to have an HBCU combine, you know, that they're going to have at the senior bowl. So I think there's going to be some headway made, and I think you'll see players drafted from here on in. How many? No one knows, but at least there'll be an opportunity for guys to, to showcase who they are and what they can bring to the table for NFL teams. Yeah, look, I, I think with Dion and Eddie
1: and, and Hugh, to me, that, that's a re- recruiting gold. You can say, you can play quarterback for me. You know, I coached Carson Palmer. I, I coached these guys, right? I, I, I know people, right? I can make a phone call and to get a look. The hard part, look, when you, when you go to Oregon on a visit and they've got 17 different uniforms with your name on the back and you only get two letters from Tennessee State because their budget – Right. Their overall recruiting and coaching staff budget is half of what they're paying their defensive coordinator. You know, that's a whole different thing. Like when I was getting recruited, coming out of high school, my mother, she's a Hampton university graduate. Why don't you go to a black school? Well, I haven't got one letter, not one. I grew up in St. Louis, not one, but I'm getting it from Missouri and Kansas state and, and Michigan state and places like that. So that's, that's part of it. I mean, the ego stroking, it, it really hurts. But, you know, look, I see something going on. Uh, Luther Campbell, Uncle Luke, right, from Two Live Crew. He went to Miami Edison High School. He's taking a bunch of athletes. He took them to Clemson. He took them to Alabama. But he also took them to Tuskegee, right, mm-hmm. to say they play football here at Tuskegee, right? Here's something that might be for you, even if you're not a five-star you could be a three-star, right? And, and that's what's so crucial because overall, there's a renaissance in HBCUs. Admissions are spiking. Admission, uh, just applications are spiking. Criteria to get in is becoming more difficult because it's a supply and demand issue. You know, having the vice president of the United States, shout out Howard, all the time doesn't hurt. And, and again, and seeing Dion and seeing Chris Paul come to game and wins in Salem State gear and, and um, Jimmy Butler wearing a Howard hat and all these players like oh I, I didn't know but look you, do, you don't have the budgets at HBCUs to compete but Alabama's weight room costs more than probably any facility at most HBCU campuses am I lying I- to you?
2: i mean
0: that's one of the points that was brought up is that when you go in it's it's that wow factor of those other schools and how do you get those maybe not even five stars but how do you get those four-star recruits to consider it um and i guess that's
1: the question and and part of the thing that also happens is the coaches You churn you churn coaches right you churn coaches at these hbcus there's no eddie robinson's there's no john merritt's staying there for a lifetime, there's no Ken Riley. So I can stay in there for 14 years anymore. If they have success, okay, well, I'm hopping up to William and Mary, or I'm going I'm going to Alabama to be a DC or, or an apprentice to be a DC. Yeah. So, you know, that that's a hard thing too. So the salaries have to increase. And, and these things I think are visible and it all starts with a TV deal. So if Eddie and Hugh start winning, right? And you got a quarterback who can do it, or you got a running back who can do it. You're gonna start getting visibility. The thing that to me is, is, is a little bit frightening. And Hugh, you, you know, this is Tennessee state. Cause you play in the Ohio Valley. That's not a historically black conference. Right. More and more HBCU athletic programs are leaving. The MEAC is being decimated, right? They're losing North Carolina a and I believe FAMU and Bethune-Cookman are shifting to the SWAC. Yeah. So now the MEAC is, is about to be about a six team league, right? So you know, Howard and Dell State and some of these schools are having to find, you know, they got to go get, they got to go on the ass kicking tour and, and play against, you know, the Maryland's and Our teams like that. Yeah. Right. Are, they, are so, they leaving? Are they leaving that, that,
0: that conference? Is it to join these? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's money. Yeah. So it's yeah. all, it's all a financial. So they've got to find out revenue streams. But I, I do agree with this with you because besides the, um, HBCU Combine. We have the Black College Football Hall of Fame Classic at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in September, which will feature Grambling and Tennessee State, probably the two universities that have more players who have played in the NFL and who are in the Hall of Fame than any other HBCUs. <clears throat> or, I mean, you got the two tall Joneses in the world, the guys like that who went to Tennessee State. Okay, then you've got the HBCU Legacy Bowl, the week after the Super Bowl, down in New Orleans at Tulane University, which is a showcase of Up to 100 draft eligible players. So you know it, it's a week. It's like a Senior Bowl format, three, four days of practices and then a game. So in other words, you there's no excuses. None. There's no with a combine, a Legacy Bowl, more games being on TV because of T S U and Jack State getting on ESPN two instead of on a streaming service. There's no excuses. Even if a scout when he's traveling he goes to go see players at Rice and Baylor. And Texas wants to skip over Prairie View and Alcorn and Jackson State. You got opportunities now right. to go visit and see the kid you didn't get to see last year as a sophomore because of COVID, who was a 250-pound outside linebacker, who's now a 6'4", 240-pound you know, outside linebacker, mm-hmm. who can run like the wind and with the proper coaching to play. Look, if you're going to invest what you invested in Marcus Davenport out of UTSU, Right. Who was as raw as they came and the Saints traded trade away all these draft picks to take them in the first round. I don't see why you can't invest in someone as raw from HBCU. You know?
0: agree. So coach, if they uh if they let me out of the country, I'm gonna be on the sideline with you there at that Hall of Fame game, all right?
2: Come on, let's go. You got it. <laughs> you, know, still, know broadcast broadcast you know, we're still on we're
0: still, we're still in lockdown over here. So yes, I'll come <laughs> check you out on the broadcast as well. But I as like I said, if they let me out, I'm there. Um yes, any, any last words, Coach, before, before we let you go?
2: No, it's just always a pleasure, obviously, to see good friends. Obviously, I see you every week, Anthony. But to see Steve and and just kind of following through Facebook, you know, his family, his sons, his wife. I mean, it's just always great, you know, to see people doing well and continue to do great things in, in their careers. And, um, and Steve, keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. One of the best at it and best wishes this year.
1: Well, I have to say this, Hugh, I, I'm, I'm just – it's weird saying this to somebody who's coached and done things, but I'm so proud of you because when you were on the podcast a couple of months ago, you said, my coaching career is over. It's never going to happen again. I'm not going to do this. And then just a couple of weeks later, you're joining Eddie at TSU. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I love it. If all of a sudden coaches get to the point saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to my roots – Let's groom young men Mm -hmm. because you're going to learn a lot being on that campus yourself. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, you're going to you're it looks like like he already has. It's it's like Todd Bowles. We went to go coach at Grambling. First off, the music, you're going to be like,
2: (laughs) it's different now.
1: So so you're going to have to get used to that. But I mean, just so much of the history and the culture and knowing they you know, like Wilma Rudolph and some of the greatest athletes in the world mm-hmm. came to that campus in Nashville. You've got Fisk and Meharry right there with some of the greatest doctors and nurses and influential mm-hmm. people in America went to school. And so now you can go and shout it from the rooftops. right? And you can go recruit from it, you know, recruit again. Mm-hmm. You've got Two Tall Jones. You know, you've got the history of Joe, Joe Gilliam and all these yeah. people, John Merritt, yeah. you know. And if we can continue to do this, this weekend we're gonna we're gonna be inducting our next class to the Black College Football Hall of Fame. You know, guys like Greg Coleman, the first Black punter from Florida A and M, he's going at Cory Bacon. Wow. You know, there's just a lot of great people, and it's 400 people, and it's legends: Art Show, Doug Williams, Willie Lanier. It is a majestic thing to to experience, and you being right there in in, in Nashville to be able to be part of this you I think it's one of the greatest things and just so much respect to you for for doing this and helping out Eddie and grooming some grooming some people to, to make that leap to the NFL absolutely
0: yeah right Right before you came on coach I was actually singing your praises and saying we had some tough conversations there and then boom this TSU thing came up and I said yeah. you know what remember what I told you I said I think this is perfect for you I think it's and 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 those young men who are going to be lucky enough to to be learning from you not just football but how to be a man because you know the respect I have for you and that uh and I'm going to leave you with this trivia question Steve the most famous TSU I ask this of everyone the most famous TSU alum not just sports just in general the most famous
1: well Wilma Rudolph's got to be up there um different do so much that's a hard I was like who's the most famous Howard alum I mean you got Thurgood Marshall Kamala Harris yeah, But you went there Chris that's Potter. easy that's easy um, <laughs> he's gonna go wow yeah who Oprah Winfrey that's right yeah.
0: I don't know how everyone forgets that one but I asked everyone right. and, and everyone has the same reaction they're like oh yeah yeah so we got to get her we're we're working on getting her a game and a jersey and a hat and uh, we're gonna get her. We're gonna get her in the stands. We said we're gonna make her homecoming queen. We're gonna find <laughs> yeah, her. There's
2: way. your recruiting ace. <laughs>
0: that's right. What are
2: you doing? <laughs> yes, you I told her we got to get her back. If you, if she can shoot some videos to the mamas, yes, you got... <laughs> absolutely. She can do it. I'm not listen.
0: I'm not saying, but I'm saying, you know, if you need a new training facility, the Oprah Winfrey Fitness Center.
2: Might be a nice look. I brought that up for several times. (laughs) All right, guys,
0: I I appreciate your time. Thank Thank you so much. Pleasure as always.
2: Appreciate you, man. Great evening. Take Take care, man.
0: Are you fluent in sports? Get the full sports fluent experience by joining us on YouTube by searching Sports Fluent, or you can follow us on Instagram. Twitter, and TikTok at sports underscore fluent, or by visiting sportsfluent.com. Need more from sports? Don't forget to check out undraftedsports.com. The Undrafted Sports Media Network has everything you need from every sport under the sun.